with the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Let's go ahead and open uh, with a word of prayer. Dear God and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word tonight. We pray, uh, Lord, that you would be with each and every person who may join us uh, tonight, but whether it be the live stream or whether they come back and join us uh, after, after the recording is over, whatever the case may be, we pray, Lord, that you would use this study uh, to benefit your saints. Uh, that this would encourage and edify your people as we understand that you are indeed the supreme high priest. Uh, You're supreme in every single scenario that we can imagine. And we just thank you, Lord, that you came down and left the throne of heaven, that you became one of us. You entered into humanity. Uh, you, You enjoined yourself to the sorrows and to the pain that we 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 suffer in life. You left the throne of heaven, you left the state of perfection to come and join us while remaining perfect, going through the human experience of your creation. We pray, Lord, again, we thank you again for your love and your grace. We pray, Lord, your blessings will be upon this series tonight, this study tonight. And again, pray your blessings be upon each and every person you bring to us uh, across the networks tonight. We ask all these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen. So tonight we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 5. We've been going through the book of Hebrews and we've been talking about the supremacy of Jesus. How Jesus is supreme in every single form and fashion. And so tonight, and and if you go to the website at bellatorchristi.com, I'll try to have a uh, PDF version of the PowerPoint up if you'd like to kind of go through and have the notes available to you after the fact uh, that'll be up and ready for you. I do have some other uh, Bible studies that I've done in the past that I'm going to hopefully do uh, and present uh, on Wednesday nights, uh, God willing, uh, that, and we'll also have the PDFs available to you as well. Hopefully, looking at long term, um, if, if things continue to progress as the Lord leads, uh, I hope to develop more Bible studies and have them available uh, here uh, through this through this medium and also through, uh, through the website as well. We all certainly want to pray for our nation. Our, our this election has been this whole election process has been nasty. Uh, no matter which side of the aisle you find yourself on, uh, and and um, was talking with a person today and was was even mentioning about you know how uh, what the person mentioned that they were glad that uh, the election is over, but, uh, but the problem is it's not over yet. <laughs> it's ongoing, and so we don't know when the results are are going to uh, to be established. But we know no matter who wins. We know that Christ reigns supreme, as we're going to talk about even tonight, how he reigns supreme. So there are three sections we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look, first of all, at the high priest's office. Jesus is our high priest. That's the topic tonight. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4, how he is the high priest, and look at the office thereof. Secondly, in verses 5 through 10, we're going to see Christ's priestly qualifications, his qualifications to be our high priest. Uh, we're also going to look at the hindrances uh, 
to uh, to Christ's priesthood, and, and that'll make more sense as we go along. Uh, the hindrances, uh, and then thirdly, the, the and then that's that'll be the last section. We'll give you a few discussion uh, questions, points of discussion, and go through the application as well. So Christ's priesthood, we've been looking at. Uh, the, the, the kingship of uh, Christ is greater even in that regard. So Christ's priesthood is greater than the priesthoods of old. Uh, this includes the, the order of Melchizedek. Uh, by receiving uh, Christ's priesthood into our lives, now let me just explain what a priest is. A priest is a person, a prophet is the one who gets the message from God and delivers it to humanity. The priest is the one who takes the petitions of humanity and offers it up to God. So prophet and priest are similar, the roles are, but they do a very different thing. So Christ's priesthood is, is even superior to what we could even imagine in the, pri the priests of old. So for instance, if we consider the priesthood of the order of Melchizedek, this was a guy who was a priest unto Abraham. Uh, it wasn't much known about this. He was a king of Salem. He was also a prophet and priest. So likewise, by receiving Christ's priesthood in our lives, we are indebted to grow spiritually in our relationship with him. You see, Christ saves us. That's his work. But it's our responsibility as his children to grow in our walk with him. And so really, if we have received Christ in our lives, we should desire to grow in our walk with him. Priesthood is an important role in Israel. And so uh, the, the role of the priest, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, uh, it, it was it was central focus, the central focus of worship that day. Well, the central focus was God, but the priest would bring the petitions of the people to God. And so Christ holds a role that's even greater than the high priest. As I, I want to... Uh, post a picture on the uh, website once it's up, uploaded of the garment that the priest wore. And then there were, there were these 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, all different colors. And then having scarlet and blue, purple, those were the official colors. And had these bells towards the bottom of the uh, robe. And so that you could actually hear the priest walking to and from the temple. And then we'll you'll also see a, an image of uh, of some different temple mounts and how the temple was arranged, uh, and I have this available on the website, and you can see where the Gentiles' court was, how the temple was uh, stationed in the middle of this temple complex, and then in the in the um, in the middle you'd see the, the the women's courtyard, and that was separated from the main priest priestly area now. Uh, through Christ, you know, women don't have to worry about being separated off from the main temple. They can enter freely into the throne of grace by the work of Christ. And then we have the Holy of Holies, uh, the holy place and the Holy of Holies. And in that would have been golden lampstands, an altar of incense at the, at the gate, or at the, uh, the most likely staircases leading up to a veil. Uh, behind the veil would have been the Holy of Holies. There was a table of showbread uh, where a priest may eat. Uh, some of the bread as as if they're having communion with God. And then the Holy of Holies uh, it was the Ark of the Covenant with these two cherubim. Uh, their, their wings would, would come up and meet over top of where the Ark 
uh, lay, and then in the side of the ark, uh, of course, was the uh, ten, the two tablets of the Ten Commandments, and also I believe it's the uh, rod of Moses, if I'm not mistaken. But the important thing was that Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the Shekinah glory, the presence of God, would come and rest upon this ark and commune and communicate with that holy, that uh, high priest on that one day. Now the thing is, today through Christ. Uh, we have a greater priesthood where we can go to God any time. He hears our prayers, and we can commune with Him. So, uh, things to look for. Just look for the description of uh, the high priest's role. Look for how Christ is the only one qualified to be the ultimate high priest. And, and see in our third section why spiritual development is so critical for one's usefulness to Christ. And so we're going to see that God desires for us to enter into His rest. No one can blame anyone else but oneself for rejecting the message of salvation found in Christ Jesus. And while we get a foretaste of this wonderful rest we find in Christ, it does not come close to the rest that we're going to find with God in eternity. And so these are some things to look for as we move uh, through this. Also, notice you'll notice that God invites everyone to experience His rest, but some do not because of their rebellion against him and so we're all going to stand before god to give an account of ourselves and the question is we have to ask ourselves are we ready so the first part we're going to look at in verses one through four is the high priest's role so first of all let's take a look at the high priest's office in chapter five verse one for every high priest taken from among men is appointed in matters pertaining to god for the people to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins so we see Christ's display of grace and mercy back in chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. And he talks about the, the Christ being the great high priest in those sections. But So there are four things, four ways the priesthood functioned, and the ways in which the priesthood functioned. One, they represented the people before God. So, so whereas the prophet was bringing the message from God to the people, the priest was representing the people before God. Okay, secondly, was the priest was selected by God, okay? And third, was they, the priest served in godly matters. And then lastly, they offered sacrifices for the people's sins. And if you know anything about the cross, I think you can see where this message is going. Let's take a look in verse 2. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he is clothed, in weakness. The high priesthood was not to be harsh, but was to, to deal gently with people. To deal gently with people. I, I'm concerned so many times, I believe, that those of us in ministry, maybe we deal too harshly with people. And, and I look upon my life and look back at maybe the ways that I wasn't always, uh, that I always didn't deal with people perhaps in the ways in which I should. But we have to understand that, that, that we have to understand the weakness of people. We're all sinners. We're, we're all trying to find our way in this crazy, topsy-turvy world. And so we must be gentle with one another. We must have compassion on one another. And so likewise, the high priest needed to have compassion. And we see that Christ uh, was clothed in weakness. Remember the Philippians hymn that he who, who was... who. Uh, Knew no sin, became sin for us. I think that's another passage of Scripture. But he left the throne of heaven. I, I can't get over this. Early hymn 
this early hymn in Philippians where it talks about Christ left the throne of glory to, to take on weakness to become one of us. You know, it, it, not many people would enter uh, dif uh, uh, difficult times or uh, violent situations. And then you see some police officers, firefighters do that. There's, there's special people who do that. EMS workers who run into the fire, run into trouble to help someone in need. But most people, most people probably wouldn't do that. But consider Christ, who left the throne of heaven, who left a state of perfection. He knew no pain, knew, no, knew nothing of the sort. He left that perfect place to become one of us, so that he would be our high priest. Friend, if you don't feel loved and you don't feel blessed... You need to go back and, and, and consider that point. That Christ left the throne of heaven to take on your sin, on your behalf, so that you would have a way unto him. Verse 3 says this. says, because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. Now, the human prophet would have to do this. Uh, the human prophet would have to atone his sins as well as the sins of others. And, and I kind of wonder sometimes, if we're to be honest, I kind of wonder sometimes if, um, you know, Christ knew no sin, and he was the only one who, who, could, uh, who, could, uh, who could save in the individuals. But a lot of times I think we try to take the credit for, for something that God does himself. And I think sometimes I, I think that uh, we, we believe, sometimes as preachers, that, that by putting on a good show that we're going to bring people to salvation. That's not the case. Understand, you can't save anyone. Only Christ can save in the first place. In fact, it reminds me of, uh, of a story at one church one time where I was talking with a deacon. And uh, he was telling me the story of this one preacher who, who came in and was doing, I think he did something like a cartwheel or something while he was preaching. He ran up from one side of the uh, stage to the other side, jumped on top of a piano, did a dance on the piano, and I asked him, I said, well, what was the message about? And the guy says, well, I can't remember what the message was about. I was just so amazed that he could do all the theatrics that I didn't even pay attention to what he said. That's a sad state of affairs, I believe. We put more emphasis on the show, on entertainment, than we do the message of the gospel. And we need to be reminded of the truthfulness of God's word and not so much of the show. Now let's take a look at verse 4. It says this, No one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God just as Aaron was. God called Moses and Aaron to the priesthood. And likewise, a true priest was a priest called by God. Now you had the Sadducees who, who bought the rights to, uh, to the priesthood by being the highest bidders to Rome. And many people would say that's why they were sad, you see. Drum roll, please. Thank you very much. But a person does not call oneself to this ministry. The person must be called. Likewise, God calls a person into ministry. And understand this, ministry doesn't just mean the pastorate. God may call you into different kinds of ministry. We all have a ministry to do. So all of us have a ministry of some sort. And, you know, and, I, and I've heard tell people say, you know, I, I don't have a calling. You know, yeah, you do. Your calling may not look like my calling. It may look very different than mine. But God has given you a, a series of gifts and abilities to use to glorify himself and to bring other people to Christ. So understand this, two things. Priesthood was a divine calling. Two, good priests were humble. We too should be humble in our dealings with people. 
with those within whom we agree. And beloved, please understand this. Go back and read the Sermon on the Mount. We are to have compassion with people with whom we don't agree. With people with whom we disagree. It's okay to disagree with people, but you don't have to be harsh and you don't have to be unloving. Remember what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 16, 15 and 16. In your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That's the mantra of the Christian apologetics. But we must not forget verse 16 which says, Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. You can win an argument but lose the person. If you act nasty and mean to individuals, all your win, all your your logical, uh, all of your fancy logical arguments are not going to win that person to Christ. Of course, obviously it's the Spirit of God who woos people to salvation, anyhow. But all your fancy arguments are not going to bring a person to Christ if you're mean and nasty to that person. God help us to be compassionate, humble people. So, part two. Christ's priestly qualifications. Now, first of all, we look at verses 5 and 6. We see the qualification of the calling, verses 5 and 6. It says, In this same way Christ did not exalt himself to become a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. Here he is quoting um, Psalm 2-7, I believe. Uh, today you, and today I become your father. Also in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now verse 5, God called Christ as the ultimate high priest. Of course, you say, now preacher, wait a minute. Jesus was God for eternity. And yes, he was. Uh, but he also had this calling, humanly speaking, to be the Messiah. And Psalm 2 is quoted, which is connected with Christ's coronation in Hebrews 1-2 and his resurrection in Acts 3-3. Verse 6, this contrasts Christ's priesthood with that of Aaron, or actually Melchizedek, or Aaron as well. Uh, excuse me, it says contrasts this priesthood with Aaron. We see, first of all, a prophetic formula. Secondly, we see an internal priesthood, that this priesthood was not a temporary thing that would last a few years, but it lasted for eternity. This priest is the one who can make you absolutely right with God. And then thirdly, there's the order of Melchizedek, uh, this mysterious individual back in Genesis who served as a priest of God to Abraham. So, we also see the qualification of sympathy in verse 7. It says, During his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. We see Jesus using prayer even when he faced death. Now, how did the Father answer Jesus' prayer when he facing death? Did he relieve him of fear? Did he uh, rescue by the resurrection? Or maybe a combination of both. But the reality is, is that Christ willingly, he was not forced, he willingly went to the cross to bear your sins upon his back. You know, often times we're, we're tempted to ask the question, why me? But with Christ and many of the early Christians, it was the question was, why not me? Why not me? Because when we understand the power of God, when we have that eternal perspective, that doesn't mean that the things we endure in life aren't going to be problematic. Of course they are. Uh, and, and of course we, we've got to go through the proper you know, st stages of grief to find true healing, most certainly. But understand this. When you have, as Jonathan Edwards says, that eternal perspective, 
when you understand that there's an eternity awaiting us that's far better than anything we experience on this life, it's amazing the transformation that truth will bring into a person's life. So let's take a look at verse 8. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Now what does it mean to say that Jesus learned obedience with what he suffered? Jesus was the omniscient God, but he still had to learn and grow as a human. We see this in Luke 2.52. Jesus emptied himself. We see this in the pre-New Testament hymn in Philippians 2.7. And he learned the value of obedience by suffering by his death on the cross. You see, there is a purpose. This is a very difficult truth to understand. There is a purpose even behind our suffering. You see, we don't really grow when we go through good times. We don't grow that way. It's when we go through the difficulties, that's where the fruit is found. It's not while we're up on the mountaintop. It's when we go through the valleys, that's where fruit is grown. That's where God develops you and makes you into the person that he's called you to be. So, um, let's move on to verse 9. After he was... Uh, perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was declared by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, Christ was morally perfect, but Christ was now qualified to assume the role of the ultimate high priest. That's what the author of Hebrews seems to be suggesting. That going through this, the, the painful death on the cross, going through the sufferings, experiencing humanity, in its full in its full capacity, Christ was now qualified to serve serve as the ultimate high priest after successfully obeying God through the torments on the cross, thus becoming the source of eternal salvation. Now, what is meant by all who obey Him? We see that salvation brings forth the desire to obey Him. If you say that you've been saved and you have no desire to serve Christ, you may need to go back into the drawing board and see if you've really been saved. Because if Christ has saved you, you're going to have that desire. You're going to want to do something for Him. And that doesn't mean that doesn't mean necessarily that you have to be at every church service. That doesn't mean necessarily that you have to do all of these things that we that we associate with churchiness. But wanting and desiring to be a good Christian, wanting and desiring to follow Christ is something that shows forth the fruit of God in our lives. Because if you're not thankful for the salvation that Christ has given you, have you really received it? Because our, that salvation brings a debt of gratitude in our lives. That's why Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. So let's take a look at verse 10. And he was declared by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. The high priest was a title. Okay, the priesthood in the order of Melchizedek meant that this was an eternal priesthood. It wasn't, some, it wasn't that he was born in the Levitical tribe. Jesus was a Judean, of the tri lion of the tribe of Judah. In fact, the, the, these, these uh, different tribes had these tribal flags, and, and the tribal flag for Judah uh, had the image of a lion. And it says Jesus is that banner. He is the banner of the tribe of Judah. He didn't come by a Levitical uh, priesthood. He came by an eternal priesthood, which makes his priesthood even greater. So, let's look at part three. 
the hindrances to Christ's priesthood. Now, let's take a look at this in verse 11. We have a great time, this, we have a great time, let me go back and say this again. We have a great deal to say about this, and it is difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. <laughs> well, the writer of Hebrews lays it out there, doesn't it? Doesn't he? Admittedly, a Melchizedek's relationship to Christ is difficult to understand, but the audience of Hebrews, uh, the, the, whoever wrote this, whether it be Barnabas or Luke or Timothy or Paul, whoever it was, the, the learners, the hearers of the word had become lazy. They didn't care to really associate or really understand what this meant. And so he's, he's calling them back to uh, study the word of God, to study, to meditate on these truths. And so he's, he's, he's uh, evoking a sense of learning among the congregation. Verse 12, although by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk and not solid food. Now, so the hindrances to Christ's priesthood was not anything having to do with Christ himself, but the resistance that the church, uh, that, that, uh, that, the, that the writer was addressing, the resistance they had to learn these truths. Now, notice he says this. Understand this very well. Christ saves us. But he doesn't save us to leave us as we are. He saves us to transform us, to develop us, and to make us into something great. Understand the people had learned so much that they themselves were capable of being teachers. You know, they were capable of being teachers, but the audience had reverted backwards to baby's milk. You know, when you grow up, we're brought up on, we're brought up on milk. But eventually we grow into eating good old meat and potatoes, steak and potatoes. We, we grow into eating solid food. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, Paul said something similar to this in some other letters, that we need to grow past the milk of God's Word and grow into that solid food. May we grow and develop in the Word of God. Verse 13. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. So what does he mean by milk? Infants live on milk, not adults. Of course, I still like a glass of milk. There's nothing wrong with that, of course. But he's talking about that we need to progress in our relationship with Christ. And there are things that we can do that will stunt our growth with Christ. Spiritual infants are not acquainted with biblical righteousness. That's why, listen, this is why we have some of the problems we have in the church today. And I'm not talking about any particular church. I'm talking about the church in America. Because we are not growing and developing as saints of God. And because of that, we are allowing heresies to be adopted and even to be accepted, to even be proclaimed in the Word of God, something that in the first few centuries uh, of the Orthodox Church would have never been considered. This is also why the church loses its influence in society. Listen, the problem facing the church doesn't come from outside. It comes from within. And I think we see this from the writer of Hebrews. Quite frankly, when we don't grow as Christians and we don't turn our eyes and keep our eyes on Christ, like Simon Peter, we sink in the waters of our doubt and despair. Christ is calling you to be something better. He's calling you to reach out for something and to make an imprint in this world. And you can do it. Not because of your righteousness, not because of your goodness. You can do it because of Christ living and abiding within you. 
because of the Holy Spirit filling you with His grace and, and, and prompting you to something greater. You can do it because of what Christ is doing in your life if you'll simply listen to Him and allow the Spirit to grow you and develop you. Now verse 14, and it's our last verse. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. By a steady diet of biblical theology and the Word of God, and by a steady diet and spiritual disciplines, we are given the ability to know right from wrong. We are given the ability to be able to discern things in this world, and it comes from the working of God manifesting in our lives. It doesn't come by our righteousness, doesn't come by our, wi our wisdom or knowledge. It comes by the manifestation of God working in and through our lives. You can obtain knowledge by reading, but biblical wisdom comes from on high. Knowledge is the acquisition of facts and figures, but wisdom is knowing how to make discerning, uh, discerning things and knowing how to make good decisions, and that comes from God. So, here's a few things you can take from this. Spiritual immaturity affects our usefulness. Spiritual immaturity affects our theological framework. Thereby, we allow heresies and allow all these problems in our lives and in our churches when we're not allowing ourselves to grow into the people that God has called us to be. Spiritual immaturity affects our moral reasoning. A lot of times, uh, when, we're, when we're spiritually undeveloped, we allow things in our lives that we really shouldn't be there. And then lastly, spiritual maturity comes by regular study in God's Word and by the regular practice of spiritual disciplines. Prayer, Bible study, these are spiritual distance, uh, disciplines. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. Many other things. Uh, you, know, you know, sometimes that discipline may be going up, out and taking a prayer walk or something like that. Um, whatever the case may be, grow in the grace of God. Christ will save you, but it's our responsibility to grow in the wisdom of the Lord. So coming up next week, we're going to talk about falling away. And why and we're going to talk about why you should endure with Jesus. And this is going to be a hard hitting Bible study. Because we see a lot of people falling away from the church. We see church attendance is, is woefully low compared to what it used to be in, in, in days gone by. We see the theology of many churches, uh, many individuals growing very weak according to uh, the trends we see established in our world today. Why is that? Well, chapter 6 is going to be linked in with chapter 5. And so understand this. My heart... I have a great deal of compassion for the Word of God, for Christ, of course, most, most supremely, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But I have a compassion for believers. I have a compassion for churches. And, beloved, we've got a lot of problems in this world today. And it's not going to be resolved by political platforms, but it's going to be resolved by falling on our faces before God, seeking His face, repenting of our sins, and allowing God to do a, a supernatural work in our lives. Otherwise, we're going to see this falling away continue even into uh, future generations. So, anyhow, uh, that's what we're going to be uh, studying next week. I thank you for joining us today. For those who were with us live, we thank you for being with us. And uh, for those of you who will be joining us a little bit later on, we hope that you'll receive a blessing from this today. Let's close with a word of prayer. The kind and gracious Heavenly Father, help us to grow in your grace and your mercy. And help us to be the type of people we need to be. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.
All right, it's been good to be back with you. We'll see you back, God willing, next Wednesday uh, for Hebrews chapter 6. listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com the opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates the Bellator Christie podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under creative commons copyright all rights reserved the opening theme is the song crucified written by John and Michaela Limanis performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith, but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today.